And actually, you know, for us as Christians, it's a really important. Who am I? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I for? Is there a purpose for my life? And so as we kind of thought about that, we felt um, that was what we really wanted to go after. Um, we've, we've been kind of thinking around some of those sort of issues. And um, Paul is a man who I've known uh, for, for many years. And just the more I get to know him, the more I'm thankful for his friendship and uh, his wisdom and his partnership with us as a team. And in the city, passionate with Sue, his wife, for the city. And pa- he's passionate for Sue, but that's more information than we need to know. Um, <laughs> How do you put up with it, Sue? How do you put up with it? Um, and, and I'm really thankful for the friendship and the journey that God has been building together. Um, and I've been kind of growing and learning alongside him. And we're really excited what God is doing in the city. It, you know, there's challenging days we live in, in all sorts of ways, but also really, really exciting to see what God is doing amongst us here as a family here. But, you know, across the city, which is my passion, the church in the city, the church in the nation. And we need God to move, and we long for God to move. And there's a growing body of men and women of all streams and traditions flowing together saying, Lord, for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory, may we truly be one in order that the world can look at the church, the glorious church, and see your kingdom breaking out in all sorts of spheres, whether it's in business or education or the healthcare or finance, all those sorts of spheres. And so we've been, because you and I play our part in that, particularly those of you out there who've got real lives and real proper jobs, unlike those of us that just sit around and drink coffee for the kingdom. You you guys who are working in spheres, bringing God's kingdom is incredible. And God wants to stir and encourage and say, this is who I made you to be with all your gifts and your callings and your talents. Called you, set you apart in these days that his kingdom can come through you. He wants to anoint you in all those spheres and in family and friends and in the locations you're called. And so knowing who you are is really, really important. Knowing who God has made you to be and believing when he says those things about you, those gifts, those callings, to actually think, really, Lord, me? Is that who I am? Is that what you've made me for? To begin to understand some of the purpose to which you're called. That's the kind of background to what we've been doing. And um, part of that is allowing our hearts to be healed so that we can truly receive who we are. Most of us here who are English, when someone pays you a compliment, will kind of look away and because we don't receive that stuff very well. And so when the Father calls out who you are and says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, I've got a purpose for you, I've given you these gifts, he doesn't want you to look at the floor embarrassed or get all silly. He wants you to be able to say, thank you, Father, for your grace. May it increase so that you're glorified and that I become more effective in the kingdom. So um, I've asked Paul to come and share a bit tonight. I, I'm, I'm just doing it now. Um, and here, together we're going to share a little bit about some of the themes of um, what does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God? We've been thinking about the difference between being knowing that we're a son or a daughter, not a servant, not a slave, but a son. We're going to think a bit about that. But Rubes, you, you, you're going to come and pray for us. That'll probably be very good while we plan what we're going to say. Yeah, we all know these two men could talk for England. Um, and anyone who was at pastorate when they did this similar style of thing will remember that it took them quite a lot of self-control to stay within the time limit. Um, so we hope for that today. Um, <laughs> uh, Father, thank you so much for these men, um, for who you've made them to be, um, for the wisdom that they can bring to us. I pray that you would speak through them um, and that we would see a glimpse of your uh, heart for our identity through what they have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 
is this someone doing a reading tonight? Beautiful, Wayne, come on, come and do it now, and then we'll know what we're going to be talking about. So the reading this evening is from uh, John 15, and it's verse 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So I want to think a bit about bearing fruit. I want to ask um, Paul. Paul's been involved in church leadership of many different styles and churches over the years with Sue. And uh, goes and speaks in lots of different church situations and had the privilege of kind of going abroad and working quite a lot in various places and you've seen God's kingdom expanding but in the days we're in that verse talks about bearing fruit what is it what is the fruit that you think God wants to do in these days amongst his church Paul I didn't know you're going to ask me that kind of question this is really really spontaneous um my head's buzzing with different thoughts, and um, I want to suggest this. The beginning of all fruitfulness is to dare to believe the extraordinary things God says about us. To dare to believe the extraordinary things he says about us is the foundation for all fruitfulness. Um, can I rabbit trail for a minute? So, so my question to you would be is, what validates you as a person? What validates you? What, what gives you your, you know, here we are talking about identity. And I, I want to suggest to you all callings he's put upon us to be fruitful are only really releasable when you realize who he's really made you. The battle over identity in this world is fierce right now. It doesn't take a prophet to tell you that, does it? It's like, you're kidding. What's going on in the world over identity is raging. Isn't it? Talk to me. Isn't it? Like, come on. What? You know what? Let me, let me, let me be a little bit provocative. The enemy is roaring about over identity because he gets a little sniff of how powerfully God is going to raise up sons and daughters in this day. Can you see that? It's never like God saying, oh my goodness, the devil's out there again. No, no, the devil gets a sniff of something incredible God's going to do, and he does his best to throw everything at it, but there's nothing he can do because he's God's devil. So this issue of identity is profound, isn't it? I have to be really honest with you, anybody with a microphone hasn't necessarily got it together in this area. Does that shock you? 
So I'm older than all of you in the room. I'm still trying to really understand the profoundness of who he says I am because of all my shame, all my background rubbish, all the agreements I made with lies, all the stuff people said, all my inner insecurity has warred against me saying, God, I dare to believe that what you say is true. Do you understand that? You do look like you got it together. I'm going to be honest and say all of us are on a journey to discover the profoundness of who he said we really are because then you're really fruitful. Uh, when I was a young man, I... I uh, <laughs> how honest shall I be? Uh, when I was a young man, I, I wrestled to know who I was. And so I grabbed at certain things that I knew I could do to sort of pin them in and make it look like I had it together. Does that make sense? Like, I could do music, cool. Um, I could be quite sociable and likable. That was a pretty good one to have. How many of you know it's nice to be likable? That's, that can be your identity. You know, you can, you can kind of work the crowd a bit. Is this terrible? You know, and then, and I had other things that I thought, and then when I became a follower of Jesus, I began to move into leadership. I thought, cool, I've got some leadership. Can I just say it really clearly? We sometimes pull in those kind of exterior presentation, presentations to establish our identity as okay in other people's sight. The problem with it is it keeps falling apart, doesn't it? Because it never does it. Because you always want another round of, of thanks from people or you know, pat on the shoulder or whatever it is. So I spent my early life, or maybe my middle life, as a man trying to get this identity thing presentable so that finally I could say, okay, I'm in. Does that make sense? Look at me, you all right? Like you, you really like you've never suffered these things. So, so I'd present certain features of myself hoping all the time it would make me acceptable and in. I've met more Christians over the years who are very called and anointed, but don't know who they are, so it keeps going wrong. So this issue of fruitfulness, I still believe is attached to a deep sense of who are you, and where do we find the final answer to all those inner wrestles? If I said to you here, how many of you struggle with rejection? Nobody's going to raise their hand in case you're rejected. But I struggle with rejection, like massively. And so that's also meant I had to project an identity to try and overcome the sense of, am I really in or am I out? Oh, I'm quite gifted in this area. That'll do it. Why am I I'm beating the drum on it? Because I think the Lord wants to take all that off us and dig deep inside us with the one thing that will stand and anchor about who you are, and it's this. You are his beloved child, and he is the most affectionate father you could ever dream of having. How many of you think that could be a pretty cool identity to get down inside? You're his beloved child, the trouble is you know this, don't you? Yeah, I know that one. I've got that one down. You're his beloved child, and he's the most affectionate father you could ever, ever have in your wildest dreams. 
And that's your identity that will anchor you through all the storms of ups and downs. Put your hand on your heart right now, would you? Say this after me. I'm the one he loves. You sound like you don't really, like, I'm going to say it. I'm the one he loves. Now just say it a bit stronger in case it may overtake you. Say it again. No, 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 no. I'm the one he loves. No, I'm the one he loves. No, no, I am. Here's the funny deal is, you see, God is so profoundly love, he can't love someone else more or less than you because his whole nature is he is love. We are in a kingdom of love. I'm going to stop soon. He, we are in a kingdom of love. It's not a kingdom of works, performance, get it right. That's all being dealt with at the cross. The kingdom of heaven is such a profoundly heaven-sent outpouring of love that to put your hand on your heart a thousand times every week and say, I'm the one he loves, digs deeper and deeper the real identity of who you are to him. I mean, wouldn't it be something to say that a hundred times a week? I'm the one he loves. I do it. And you may think I'm cranky. I do it. Especially on a bad day when I think I'm not making it. I'm the one he loves. I'm his beloved. That's the only identity worth having. Can I take one other scripture? Then you're going to outpour your revelation. Could, uh, Mark, do you mind if we went back to John 15, 9? I know we're meant to be talking about friends, okay? John 15, 9. <coughs> mm. That's cool. Now, listen, can I make a suggestion to you? This scripture is outrageous. It shouldn't be in the Bible. Seriously. If you want to take a scripture this week and eat it and chew it, this is the one to take. I'm going to read it to you. You're going to go, yeah, yeah, I know that. I don't. I'm going to say it to you really slowly. This is Jesus before the next passage looking at his dear, dear friends and he says these outrageous things. As the Father loves me. Um, 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 do we know how the Father loves Jesus? What do you reckon? What do you think? Is it, is it outrageous? Does God love God in the most outrageous way? Does he? Huh? I mean, what, what, I'm sorry. Okay, quieten down. What about the Trinity? How do they relate together? Well, we're very busy running the cosmos, you know, and we have this committee in heaven. No! The Trinity is the most outrageous circle of love. Unstoppable. And then Jesus peeps into the disciples and says, by the way, guys, in the same way as the Father loves me, and they must be going, ping! No, 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 it can't be the same way because you're Jesus. You know, you're the son of God. I mean, that's different. He says, so have I loved you. Oh, yeah, very good, very good, very good. No, no, it's outrageous. So I'm stopping. I'm trying to stop. But he gave me permission. Can I just finish quickly, all right? Could you stay with me? 
I, I promise you, I don't think I've begun to enter the glory of that verse. It's too big for me to get my head around. It's too, no, no, Jesus, don't say that. You don't love me in the same way as the Father loves you because you're the pure Son of God. I've made a mess. You can't be the same. Yeah? And then he says this. Now, this is the bit. Stay, remain, abide in my love for you. So all my last few years, I've been thinking, God, how do I remain loved? How do I live loved? Because most of my life, I spent, if you like, with a kind of a, you know, something from my heart going around saying, will you love me? Will you, will you affirm me? Will you encourage me? Will you give me a bit more? Am I doing all right? And of course, it all drains away again. And Jesus, with this radiant, outrageous love on his face, is looking at his disciples and saying, guess what, guys? I love you in exactly the same way as my dad loves me. And by the way, I'd like you to stay in my love and not move out of it, and then you'll be very, very fruitful. Amen. Amen. So I was thinking, as Paul was sharing that, it's quite disconcerting if someone looks you in the eyes. Uh, many people find it hard to look someone in the eyes anyway when they're having a conversation with you and someone tries to hold your eye contact. And if they tell you something profound as hold, you're holding eye contact, it's, it can be quite disconcerting. If someone looks you in the eyes and tells you that they love you, you know whether they mean it. And if they do mean it, it's either glorious or disconcerting or shocking, but it's profound, isn't it? I think many of us struggle to make eye contact even with other human beings and receive love. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know where to park it. It makes us feel uncomfortable or maybe because deep down we don't feel perhaps worth it. And so when the God of the universe tries to do that, our inclination is so often to pull back. Um, and I was thinking of an incident when I was, um, that maybe illustrates it for us. Are we recording this, Mark? Can you, <laughs> really? Um, can you just pause it a sec? Because I want to share a story, but is that all right? Michael Jackson, don't you? And his, do you want to say a little bit about him? Because his, his view of the father affected his whole, the whole performance thing. Yeah, it's, it's a bit, I, I'll shorten the story, but uh, Michael Jackson, you know, world famous, incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted performer. I mean, anybody not heard of him? No, it's terrible. Um, but uh, when he died, the earth mourned in a weird way for a man they sort of clung to as, I don't know, just such a star performer. And in the, one of the interviews really hit me after he died. They asked one of his best friends about him. And this friend said, oh, Michael Jackson was probably the loneliest person I've ever met. And you kind of go, what? I mean, world-class performer on every stage in every nation, one of the most loneliest people I ever met. And as the guy said it, the whole story began to unravel because as many of you know, Michael Jackson, while a great performer, had a deeply, deeply scarred identity, didn't he? Are you with me on this? You know, his whole wrestle with 
Who am I? Meant he was the loneliest person. And this guy then said, he said, he's only, he was only at home when he was on the stage. Think about it. He was only at home when he was on the stage. What God doesn't want for us, does he, is we only feel accepted when we're performing in some way, right? But what happened real quick for the story is then it all unraveled that when Michael Jackson was about five years old, he was in the Jackson Five, a small, prodigious sort of little group performing. And uh, they were really good, but his dad would sit on the front row as they were rehearsing with a stick on his knees, waiting for his son to get a wrong note, and then he'd whack him afterwards. And it turned out his father was so horrendous that at nighttime, when Michael Jackson left his window open by mistake, his father would come in with a mask and roar over him and traumatize the boy so that the boy would shake with fear. Can you imagine with that level of gift, but with nil affection from his father, he grew up able to perform on stage, but be deeply lonely inside. What was the moral when your, uh, your experiences of fathers or mothers or people like that is very twisted and damaging? What Tim was saying is it's really difficult to dare to believe there's a dad in heaven who looks at you with immense affection and says, I am love. I will never change towards you. That was the point of the story. So that being the case, because I think so many people are ruled by fear, and, you know, that's the opposite of love, isn't it? And there's a deep fear in many of us that thinks, well, if I'm doing okay, God will love me. But as soon as I get it wrong, he pulls back. He's ashamed of me. He rejects me. Um, you know, it's not negating the seriousness of sin. God does want to deal with sin. But actually, in the same way, I, you know, I have children, very lovely children. My children, it's great to have Ellie back from Edinburgh. She's really good some of the time. Um, and most of the time, and I love her dearly. My love for her doesn't change despite her, whether she's doing really, really brilliantly, when she does brilliantly, as she is, I'm proud of her. When things have gone horribly wrong, I love her because that's what a father does. And a father wants to help and a father wants to kind of make things even better, but the love remains the same. And for us, in our view of God, that's often so stolen from us because the enemy wants to rob the truth of who that is. So we do look elsewhere. We look to other people for affirmation or affection, or we look to our job for significance, or we look to stature or fame or wealth to hold us steady when the storms come instead of looking to who we are in Christ and our identity in him that holds us firm. Because what happens when the pension pot collapses? What happens when we get made redundant? What happens when our marriage gets messed up? What happens when our friendships break down? And those things can. God stays steady in those times and we need to hold to him. Paul, you talked about your past kind of struggles and your kind of things that you kind of journeyed with and the kind of, the, the, we talked about the negative things that can affect how our perception of God is. How does that change then? For those who are sitting there thinking, well, I do struggle in my identity. I do struggle in my understanding of God as good and a father whose love is never-ending and doesn't waver. If, if people are sitting there thinking, well, yeah, well, that's kind of how I'm at, how can that change? Why is he asking? 
difficult questions. Do you pay to come to this? Oh, no, sorry. So uh, my own experience has been it's a bit of a long journey, but it's worth it. You have to commit to this. You have to commit to letting the Holy Spirit take the rubbish out. Because I don't know any other way I can change except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he takes the rubbish out, all my agreements, all my rejection, which I really suffered with while being gifted and called. Can you hear that? He took the rubbish out. He, here's what I suggest real quick because of time, is that commit to a journey to so encounter this Father's love that it gets settled for good for the rest of your life because Jesus would not say, remain in my love unless it's possible to remain in his love, would he? Does Jesus throw out outrageous, you know, hey, this would be great for you? No, it's impossible. No, my goal is, this is my personal goal. I'm working on it. I want to remain in his love 24-7. How many else would like that? Anybody else? Serious. Why would Jesus say it? Now remain. Stay there. Don't drift back into the orphan way that you can be. So, uh, real quick, my commitment has been very frail at times, but God, will you clear the rubbish out? I give you permission to deal with the worst damage in my heart. Things like the Thrive Weekend and so on. They're just opportunities to say, Holy Spirit, I need you to take the rubbish out. I, I'm acknowledging I've got this stuff. By the way, I hate navel-gazing. I love life, but I want a whole heart living loved, not looking for love everywhere. So I guess it's clear the rubbish out. I take verses like John 15, 9 seriously, and I just meditate on them, and I say, Holy Spirit, I want this. Would you break it open for me? Would you give me a personal encounter with a Father's love that's mine? Otherwise, Jesus, you must be lying. And he'd never do that. Lastly, honestly, tomorrow, Monday, I will practice remaining in his love. How do I do that? Every moment I remember to, I just kind of dial in a bit and say, Father, thanks. I'm your beloved. Just driving in the car, maybe go to the loo, thanks. I'm the one you love. It begins to dig deep inside you a lasting identity that no enemy can ever take away from you. And that's kind of developing a culture, isn't it? And a, de a dependency on God. Many of us here have um, dependencies and all sorts of things. There are certain moments in the morning when I wake up and if I'm honest, often my first thought is I need a coffee. Uh, and then about nine o'clock, I think I need a coffee. And around about 11 o'clock, I think I really need a coffee. Uh, and that's probably not a good dependency, but it's honest. At times, I think I need a coffee. Maybe at those moments when we think I need a cup, cup of coffee or I need a cup of tea or whatever it may be to think, actually, I will go and have a coffee because that's okay. But what I really need is Jesus for you to kind of lay hold of my heart today. I'll have a coffee. We'll have a coffee together, Jesus, while you're doing it. But actually... My body's saying, I could really fancy a cup of tea right now. But my spirit's saying, my soul is saying, Lord, I need you more. So why don't we take those moments in your day when you think, oh, I really fancy a coffee. I really fancy a cup of tea. Oh, it's fancy a bit of fresh air. I'm going to have a break. 
to think, okay, I'm going to realign my spiritual center with my physical center. So those are kind of prompt moments, as Paul just said, in the moment, I'm going to remain in his love. While I'm putting the kettle on, I'm going to remain in his love. It's a practical thing we can do, isn't it, in those moments that we have each day. It's a conversation that we're having, and uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking of kind of not just who am I, but what am I here for? Some of you know Arlene. Arlene is um, uh, an apostolic, prophetic, a real real prophet, I would say, from Holland. She's an amazing woman of God. Her and her husband lead a church uh, that's kind of doing incredible things. They've seen God break into the red light districts of um, um, Amsterdam in incredibly profound ways. She's a really humble, beautiful teacher, spoken at crazy places like the UN, and then she comes and speaks at conferences and churches, and she's here in the city again, uh, beginning of March, not long now, a couple of weeks' time. She's, a, she's beautiful, inspirational. She speaks in kind of global financial situations, and God's raised her up to speak into nations and political institutions and churches in really beautiful ways. And she's going to be here in Bath, and she's going to come and speak at St. Matt's. Uh, She's going to be doing stuff with church leaders and city leaders and prophetic groups here in the city. But she's actually going to speak at St. Matt's on the 1st of March, first Sunday in March. Um, And the reason I say that is she's going to be speaking on this whole question of why am I here? She's going to launch that series. So she's going to be great that night. And I'm sure that'd be a great opportunity to be inspired and encouraged by her, um, but also to really sense her speaking into that question of, okay, well, Lord, this is who I am, but why am I here? And I know she's going to speak into some of that. But I'd love us as we finish just to pray and kind of get Paul to pray for us. I invite the band to come back up as we draw to a close. Just take these moments, maybe actually tonight, to say, Lord, this is my heart. It could do with a bit of an MOT right now. I need to yield this to you. Would you come and help me to understand who I am, who you've called me to be, and where there's hindrances in my heart that stop me receiving your love, where I'm like little Charlotte and I go and hide under the table because that seems like a safe place in the shadows rather than being called out, where I I feel your gaze on me and it's a gaze that isn't searching me out to criticize me or to correct me or to make me better, It's a gaze to show the Father's love. But where I struggle with that, this is a moment to say, Lord, will you help me? Will you heal me? Will you hold me and help me to know your love? Not so that I can just feel fluffy for the rest of my days, but I can be more who I'm supposed to be for your kingdom's sake. And get the band up. Do we have a band? (laughs) And um, why don't we stand together? I'm going to get Paul to pray for us. And we'll just sense what...